We've been away on vacation. We had a great time. It was good to be back. Um, it was, and it was good to be away. Yeah, it was, we, were, we were both ready for it. And uh, so we had a good time. And thank you, everyone, that uh, sent messages and prayed for us and all that stuff. We, we just deeply, deeply appreciate it. Um, I don't... I didn't want to just jump back into where I was at as far as the teaching series before I left. And I had just a couple thoughts. And so today, that's just what I'm going to give you. Really, just two scriptures and, and some thoughts around that. Um, one is in Philippians. So when I'm on vacation, where we go in Kerala, yeah, Philippians chapter 1, where, where we go in Kerala, um, the cottage, you just walk across the street over the sand dune and you're at the beach and uh, at the ocean. And um, I was there most mornings, weather permitting. There was a few mornings that it just wasn't fit to be there, but most mornings it was. And so I go and I watch the sunset or the sunrise every morning. Not the sunset, but the sunrise. And... Um, so early in the morning, I got my backpack, I got my coffee, I got my iPad, I got my book, I got my chair, and off to the beach I go. And and, and I just go and I wait. I just sit in his presence and I wait. And so um, This year was a little different in uh, that I'm working on a book, so I was uh, I had a stack of stuff that I was behind schedule on. So I had to my plan was to devote a lot of time to the book, which I did. I got everything done that I needed to do, but my mind was tracking in that direction. And um, you guys probably don't have this trouble, but like when my mind gets knows that it's got to stay anchored in a particular direction, it's hard for me to shift to another direction. So I would like to think at this age, I've got this all wired and I can quickly just put that part of my brain to rest and let this part of my brain start to function, but uh, I'm not there yet. So um, so my, my general focus was on was on the book. But of course, with all the other things that we're all living through right now, there was also some attention that was given to just our current world climate, and especially in the U.S., what we're going through here, and some of the things that the Lord has um, had showed me a while back, and kind of, okay, was, was I on or not on with what I thought? with what I was seeing. So there was a lot of things I was musing, and I'm not really wanting to talk about all that. But one thing that I came to and what I want to share this morning is this idea that, you know, in a, in a short period of time, the election will be over. Hallelujah. <laughs> Please vote. Voting is important. Please vote. Um, it'll remain, you know, it used to be on election day, we would all sit up because you knew by the 11 o'clock news, you would pretty much know who was going to be president and you could go to bed either happy or mad. 
and get up the next day and just start living again. I desperately would hope that would be the case this year. I'm not optimistic of that. So it might be a while before we know who the courts ultimately say the president of the United States will be. But be that as it may, at some point, the powers that be will make somebody president. However, we are kings from a different kingdom. And the whole world is not the United States, and the United States is not the whole world. So next week, we're putting our house on the market, and we're moving to Kenya. (laughs) I figured if Hollywood can do it, we can do it. And I have nothing on me. Only kidding. Kidding, we're not putting our house on the market. But I am going to Kenya. Um, So the, the... the thing that I was thinking about as we were sitting on the beach, as I was sitting on the beach and just kind of, Lord, where are we at? There, we, the church, regardless of others' opinions of us, regardless of even the places where we've got it wrong, regardless of mistakes that we've made, all those things, the church is still the church. The church is still the bride of Christ. The church is still the only show in town. There is only one place where Yahweh has decided to move his light into the world. And that's the church. And sometimes we do it well, and sometimes we don't do it well. But regardless of that, he, our father, is committed to the covenant that he made with Abraham that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And he's doing that through covenant people. And for those that feel like that statement that I just made is an absolutely arrogant statement, and how dare I, because that alienates this, that, and the other, I didn't make the statement. I'm only repeating the statement. I didn't set it up this way. The Sovereign Lord set it up this way. Now, that that should not, at least, create in us an atmosphere of arrogance or an atmosphere of I got mine, sorry about you. No, it should create the atmosphere of love. It should create the atmosphere of service. It should create the atmosphere where we want everyone to know the goodness that we've experienced. You know, I'll talk about this in depth a little bit in, in a couple weeks. But the Apostle Paul, when you read all the writings of the Apostle Paul, you, you, Paul inserts certain statements along the way where he talks about, you know, his, his suffering being poured out and seeing himself in this place of 
you know, it's, it's going to come through me. I've experienced something. And what I've experienced, I want others to experience. So Paul has this Damascus Road experience. And I forget, uh, um, I can't remember your name, but the gentleman that shared about, he gives us these things not because we deserve it or that we have the ability. He, he puts us in places where we're beyond our ability so that he says, I'm God. It's not your resume. It's not this. And, and those, it's not that those things have no level of importance. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what flows into my life, I'm at this place where I'm like, it's God. It's God. I, I, I wouldn't be at this point in my life if it wasn't for him. Right. So Paul has this Damascus experience that God initiated. God started the conversation. Paul was on his way to another town to kill people in the name of God. And God shows up and says, Paul, well, actually said Saul. Jumping ahead. Saul, right? So having had that experience, Saul, now Paul, is radically changed. And so his whole life's journey is to make sure that other people know this experience that he's had. Now, and I'll unpack this, as you say, in a couple of weeks, but one of the things that is amazing to me as I've looked at this, where Paul has been, where he, what he was doing, how it all impacted him, the thing that struck Paul most that convinced him to the fullness of what Jesus the Messiah had accomplished on the cross what, if, what caught Paul was that the Gentiles believed. Because that was a prophetic word. And Paul knew that in Abraham, all the nations of the world were going to be blessed. And that it was going to come through Israel. Paul unpacks that in Romans. But all that was, that's going to come through Israel. But the point is... In Jesus, in Messiah, there's one new man, Jew, Gentile, brought together as one new man. And what, what was impacted Paul was this place where he went, the Gentiles believed. Now, I think in this room, we're probably all Gentiles. Now, some of us probably have some Jewish root, but basically we're all Gentiles. We lived like Gentiles, acted like Gentiles, talked like Gentiles, smelt like Gentiles. And the fact that we now know Jesus as Savior, we, lose, we can lose sight of what was happening. I said I wasn't going to go where I picked up but, or where I left off, but I think I have. And it's not in my notes. So I'm just passing through, I promise. I'm going to get to my notes. So, but in first century, from a Jewish perspective, for believers to step forward and say, I believe, was not even in their thinking. Because we're Jews, we believe. You're Gentiles, you do other stuff. We are the people of the promise. We are the people of the covenant. We are the people of the temple. We are the people of the law. We are the people of Abraham. And they could have 
ratcheted off all the things that made them different, better, and special to a Gentile. And for Gentiles, they, I mean, the whole Jewish system was just a pain in the neck to them. It was a pain in the neck to the Romans. They had to put up with these crazy stuff that these priests were always, and the Pharisees were always wanting. Your special laws, your special diet, your special day. You got this, you got that, you got the other. And then when it's the end of the day, you guys all eat the matzah. It doesn't even taste good. Bagels hadn't came along yet. So for Paul, for Gentiles in mass to say, I received Christ as Savior, was miraculous. It was life-changing. It stirred in Paul. It's like the Gentiles believed. That's why he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Why? Because he saw this is the plan of God. It's being, dist it's being distributed out right now across the earth. The new heaven, the new earth has come. The Gentiles are coming in. And that's why for Paul, getting the Rome was the most important thing in his life. Because I'm determined to take the gospel to the very center of world government. Anyway, I'll pick up on that in a couple weeks. Okay, Philippians 1, I promise, verse 3. This is, this, these, these two groupings of verses are things that, um, as I've been, well, I've been away and I've been praying for the church and, you know, praying for you guys. The, these are two verses that have been part of my, my, uh, my prayer. And I'm just going to read them and then just chat a little bit about them. My prayers for you are full of praise to God as I give him thanks for you with great joy. I'm so grateful for our union and our enduring partnership that began the first time I presented you the gospel. I pray with great faith for you because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's no wonder that I pray with such confidence since you have a permanent place in my heart. You have remained partners with me in the wonderful grace of God, even though I'm here in chains for standing up for the truth of the gospel. I wasn't in chains, I was in a beach chair. Only God knows how much I dearly love you with the tender affection of Jesus, the anointed one. I continue to pray for you, for your love to grow and increase beyond measure, bringing you into the rich revelation of spiritual insight in all things. This will enable you to choose the most excellent way of all, becoming pure and without offense until the unveiling of Christ. And you will be filled completely with the fruits of righteousness that are found in Jesus, the anointed one, bringing great praise and glory to God. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, starting with 12. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that you show deep appreciation for those who cherish and diligently work as ministers among you. 
for they are your leaders who care for you and teach you and stand before the Lord on your behalf. They value you with great love. Because of their service to you, let peace reign among yourselves. We appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. Be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. Be faithful to stand your ground. Help the weak to stand again. Be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone. Resist revenge. Make sure that no one pays back evil in place of evil, but always pursue doing what is beautiful to, the, to one another and to all the unbelievers. Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. In the midst of everything, be always giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't be one who scorns prophecies, but be faithful to examine them by putting them to the test, and afterwards, hold tightly to what has been proven, what was proven to be right. Avoid every appearance of evil. Now may the God of peace and harmony set you apart, making you completely holy, And may your entire being, spirit, soul, and body, be kept completely flawless in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. And the one who calls you by name is trustworthy and will thoroughly complete his work in you. Now, beloved ones, pray for us. Greet each brother and sister with a sacred kiss. I solemnly plead with you before the Lord to make sure that every holy believer among you has the opportunity to hear this letter read to them. Grace from our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. So just just a couple just a couple thoughts in, in this group of verses. And, and kind of in today's text, um, as I said, in a, in a short period of time, the election is going to be over. Regardless of what happens in the election, we're, gonna ha- we're all going to have to live with the, with the outcome of it. But we don't live in the outcome if it's not the outcome we were looking for. We don't live in the outcome as victims. Because the kingdom of God is still putting leaven into the lump. And the leaven is still at work. The kingdom of God was leavening the lump a year ago. It'll be leavening the lump next year as we're all gathering at Thunderdome. (laughs) It's not restricted by our nonsense. It's not restricted by government powers. It's not even restricted by death. The leaven is still leavening because the providence of our God says he's not stopping until all the nations of this planet have been brought in to his glory and his grace.
And we are the people that have been given the charge in this generation to do that. And as we sang to our children and to our children's children and to our children's children, the Hebrew perspective was never the escape hatch. The Hebrew perspective was always from generation to generation to generation until the fullness of Yahweh has accomplished all that he's set out to do, which is his glory filling the whole earth. And we are the imagers of that. That's our vocation. Each of us do it in our respective spheres of influence, but that's our vocation nonetheless. And the diversity of it makes it wonderful. Because in this vocation, in this giving out of the glory of God, it doesn't happen because somebody's standing where I'm standing, doing what I'm doing. It happens because we are all out doing what we do and then touching the lives of those around us so that they know that God loves them and that there's more to life than just living, working, and dying. He has plans, he has purposes, he has potential that he's put in us. And um, we, we have that ability or that invitation to, to connect with him and allow him to show us the fullness of who we are and where we're going and how we're going to do it and what he wants to do. And that's what makes life full. And I love verse 6 out of Philippians, where he says, and I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation. He said, but I pray with great faith for you because I'm fully convinced that the one who began the glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. I... Um, whether you... Whether you're an an artist, a builder, any of us that, that construct things. One of the, one of the I, I, well, at least speaking for me, if I'm, we're getting ready to redo the living room at the house, at our house. And um, so in the beginning, you know, there's a lot of tearing up. There's dust, there's dirt, there's this, there's that. There's, you know, fixing things. There's a lot, of, there's a lot that goes into doing a remodeling project. But for me, the, the neatest thing of the project is the finishing touches. It's when the bulk of the work is done and you stand back and you go, it just needs that. And you put that on, you stand back, and I made it. That made it. That verse, what it brings to mind is the Lord is looking at each of us going, you know, you are the finished work of Christ, but I'd like to add this. And he just deposits very special things, intimate things to each of us. And then he stands back and he goes, you're a work of art, work of art. And we're going, yeah, but you're the artist. Oh, no, you, you're a work of art. 
but I didn't do it, you did it. No, no, I'm telling you, you are a work of art. And we, we watch that through, especially the Gospel of John. John captures this, I think, probably better than anybody. But in these different places where Jesus is turning everybody to the Father and going, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You, can, you must see the Father. And at the same time, the Father's going, have you seen my son? Have you seen my son? Look at my son. But then the son's going, no, no, no. I'm telling you, I'm only doing what I, what I hear and see. Look at my father. My father's amazing. And that back and forth goes all through the Gospel of John. But it's also going through our lives. Where we're going, Lord, without you, I'm nothing. And he's like, yeah, but you're amazing. And we keep trying to give it back to him. And he's giving it back to us. And I, I think it's just the dynamic of the, re, of the relationship. You know? And I know, like, with Linda and I, it, we generally, I think we pretty much do this consistently now. And I've heard other couples that do it, too. Um, you go, I love you. And then she looks back and she goes, I love you. Then, you know, she goes, yeah, but I love you. Two. Like, no, you can't love me too. No. The two can't be in there. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can only. It, so, and so we, we, we have this, this, this dance back and forth, you know. And then if I keep it up, she'll go, well, what do you want? <laughs> dinner. Dinner. I, you, you guys, you run off in places. So it's that way, it's, that, it's, it's, the, it's the romance of the relationship that we have with Yahweh. That we can stand before him and realize, my goodness, God, you are the one that took me as a broken mess and put me together. And so everything, God, everything is to you. But then he turns right around and says, I don't see a broken mess. I see an incredible creation that I love spending time with. And that, that romance goes back and forth. And so Paul is saying, there's just these places where, where God is putting the finishing touches on things. You know, and, and we're still trying to talk to him about what a mess the project was when we started and had to tear a wall out. And he doesn't even want to talk about that. He's like, yeah, but right there, see how that color just blends in? Isn't that beautiful? But I got a whole trailer full of junk right outside the door. And I'm pretty sure if I don't lock the door, the junk's going to try to come back in. He said, but what about this right here? See how that, isn't that gorgeous? So he's bringing us to the place that having our eyes fixed on Jesus, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So when I have my eyes fixed on him, obviously they're not fixed on me. And when I want to talk about the wrinkles, 
He wants to talk about the hues. And so I have to learn his conversation. And I learn to come to that place, and I'm still learning to come to that place of, I'll let you lead the conversation. Because I like where it goes when you lead the conversation. Sometimes when I lead the conversation, like Joe, I look in the mirror and walk away, and I don't see what I actually saw. And he's going, no, 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 go back to the mirror. Go back to the mirror. I want you to see. I think one of the greatest, um, one, one of the greatest, I don't know, joys or perspectives, I, I don't even know what word to put to it, was when I was able to shift from my early years of angry God, not doing well, not keeping the rules, not, you know, all the things that I went through in those early years, when I came to that realization that God isn't mad at me and he's not afraid of me because I was afraid of me. And when he brought, brought me to that place, he's like, now, when I said I never leave you, I never forsake you, that's what I meant. I'm not going anywhere. So much to the point that he goes, you know, I knew what I was getting when I bought the package. It didn't surprise me. But when Jesus said, it's finished, we became new packages. It's amazing how God can take a package and turn it into what he's turned us into, each of us. Finally, maybe as a word of exhortation, down in, jump, jumping down, down to 1 Thessalonians. Verse 13. At the end of the verse, he says, let peace reign in yourselves. The climate that we're in is not a climate of peace. How do we know where the kingdom is? How do we know where the leaven is? Just look for righteousness, peace, and joy. If they're present, pretty sure the kingdom's present. If there's something else at work in that atmosphere, I'm pretty sure the kingdom's, not saying it's not there, but it's not active. It's not, it's not a place that I can entrust myself to. Um, you know, I've said this a couple times, but I've really restrained my, my time on social media. I've really restrained my time watching the news. Um, and I've, I've really restrained myself even in um, how much time I'm, I'm giving to political thought. And I'm someone that enjoys politics. Uh, so for me to disengage from politics, that, that took me some practice. Um, 
And I'm not saying that politics aren't important. I'm saying vote. I, we, we live in a country where we have this freedom. Not every country has this freedom. As messed up as it is, it's better than the vast majority of the countries on the planet. I know there's some in this country that are looking for the day when the president is elected by 97%. I'm not one of them. I would rather live in in the, the messiness of democracy than live in the control of another government form. And I travel in countries where other government forms are the, are the rule of the day. So let peace reign in yourselves. Let our hearts be set in a place of peace. In verse 15, resist revenge and make sure that no one pays back evil for evil, but always pursues what is doing always pursue doing what is beautiful to one another and to all unbelievers. That one's a harder verse to live out. Because there's some folks that on my way to peace, I like to whack you. (laughs) Just once. But I'm sure I would feel peace at the end of it. But I'm, to, I'm supposed to be pursuing something that's beautiful towards one another, something that's expressing righteousness, peace, and joy. In my conversation, in my actions, in my attitude, in, in every aspect of my life. Uh, and I'll, I will close with this. And this, I, I've been doing an informal survey since June. I don't know if I've mentioned it or not, but it's an informal survey, so it's not, it's not scientific, but I'm sure I'm right. <laughs> when I watch the media a lot, I had the feeling that everybody is mad at everybody And that burning down cities is what everybody is doing, wants to do, is looking for a bus to go do. When I removed myself from that world and just got up every morning and gone, okay, I live in Milford, Delaware. Now, we're probably not the cross-section of the whole country. But this is where I live, so this is what I can observe. So from June to the present, Every day when I go out, I pay attention to how I engage with people and what happens. And I can tell you at this point that I at least have not ran into any person that's full of anger wanting to burn a building down. I haven't ran into any person that's running around going, I hate these people, I love these people, or I'm going to hurt these people. What? I haven't ran into them. What I have run into is a lot of people wearing masks who are being nice to each other, who are opening the doors for each other, who are getting stuff off grocery store shelves and giving it to another person, who allowed preference in a line 
um, that just start talking to you at the gas pumps of all different colors, of all different backgrounds, of all different cultures. And I'm like, this is the real world. Not that. It's not Thunderdome. It's not Andy of Mayberry either. I'm not Pollyanna about it. But somewhere in the middle, there's just human beings being decent human beings to one another, trying to figure out how do I get through life? How do I pay my bills? How do I love my family? How do I be nice? And I've decided, at least, I'm throwing my hat in with that lot. And I'm just going to try to go out every day and be nice. Uh, Yeah. And I'm saying, I'm not Andy and Mayberry. I have my moments. There is repentance. But generally, I just want to be nice. I want to have a good attitude. I don't want to be all torqued up with anger. I don't want to be all torqued up with frustration. I just want to get up each day going, today, I want to pursue righteousness, peace, joy. And I can tell you, I'm sleeping better at night. And regardless of who's our president, I, Robert Muncie, have an assignment. Just be a nice person and live out righteousness, peace, and joy. And I think in the long run, that wins. In the book of Acts, Herod, the first, decided that he was going to start persecuting the church. Woke up one morning and going, I think I'll persecute the church. So he starts arresting the, the, the apostles. Right? And you, you, you know the story. And so Peter gets arrested and thrown in jail. And that gets all messed up because an angel shows up. And now Peter's out. And there's this place where you, th- you could look and go, oh, my goodness, Herod, he's the ruler. He's got all the power. He's the guy that's got the, the, the force behind him. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Well, in short order, Herod is dead. And the church is still standing. I don't care how ugly it might get at a political level. It can only go so long. Now, I might not live to see the end of it. But it can only go so long. Because sooner or later, the leaven shifts what's happening on the planet. And the providence of God comes. Most of us, if not all of us in this room, didn't live through the angst of World War II. Well, a few of us did. The, The angst of World War II where it looked like if we were alive at that time, the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. And between Germany and Japan, it's all going to collapse. And a lot of horrible things happened. But when you ride through Europe today, the only vestiges of World War II you see are the monuments calling attention to particular things. 
The cities are rebuilt. Families exist. Economies exist. And it's a nice place to visit. Things only last so long. The kingdom of God is here and isn't going anywhere.